Sorry, assholes, your quiet day at the office is about to get severely fucked up. Guys, welcome back to the After Action Review. You know me. I'm Nick Guy, and it has been a minute. I truly apologize. Life gets busy. Work gets busy. The employer starts making demands, and things that I like to do, like this podcast, kind of fall by the wayside. But we're back. We have a slew of new guests lined up. But first up, uh, we have with us Nick Davidson. Uh, Nick enlisted in the Army back in 2008, uh, became a scout, and deployed to Afghanistan in 2009, where he partook in the Battle of Kamdesh, uh, which is we just passed the 11th anniversary of, and uh, there's now a major motion picture, the outpost that has been released. A lot of people are talking about it. But we always like to hear from the people that were on the ground, the boots on the ground, the firsthand perspective. And in that case, uh, we're very blessed, very lucky. Nick, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, no worries. Fun to be here. All right, so just kind of take us through. You know, beginning, beginning of the deployment, I mean, were, were things nasty right off the get-go? Kind of just, you know, start, take us to the beginning and uh, take us through what happened. So, um... You know, normal stuff when you're getting pre-up for, for deployments. Uh, take your stuff away. You call, in my case, my girlfriend, my fiance, my wife, um, now. <laughs> uh, calling her, uh, talking to her all day long, waiting for, um, you know, to ship out or fly out. And then, um, what was it? From Colorado to Maine, from Maine to Germany, Germany to, to um, Kyrgyzstan, which was pretty cool. Kind of being there, kind of seeing, like, that's the first, first time I left this country, uh, other than, you know, going to Mexico. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's the first time I've really been out of the country. Uh, Germany was kind of cool, but you're just stuck inside a room. But in Kyrgyzstan, you actually got to walk around, kind of look over the fence and everything, see what's what. Um, so that was kind of cool for me. Um, and then when we landed in uh, Afghanistan, in Bagram, uh, the first thing that we get, uh, they line us all up. You know, we're, we're getting our eyes half patches, and we're like, cool, cool, cool. And then every, they're like, everybody outside. Then at attention, we're like, what are you, what's going on? And then the next thing we know, we, we see a bunch of, of our fallen um, being taken in front of us. So that was kind of my greeting in Afghanistan right off the bat was, hey, this is what's, what could happen to you. So um, from there, our next stop was Jabad, Jalalabad. Um, and that's when we first got our, our rounds. Like, hey, you know, um, there's a part of this place when I get attacked. So here's some rounds just in case something happens. You have a little bit. And we we're like, what the shit? It's just one magazine. <laughs> so like, that's cool. Um, then, uh, we slowly go off chalk by chalk to, uh, Keating. Uh, a couple went to a couple days before. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm just proud at the, at the time, so I'm not anyone special. So I'm not in the first group <laughs> or anything. I was, uh, in one of the uh, middle groups and, um, yeah, we landed at night and it was really weird. Um, I thought we were walking up to a castle almost cause I just remember like towering above me. It turned out it was just a rock. Um, that was there. We're not, the mountains were way more tiring. Like I thought that was, that was the mountain I heard of. Cause when we were back in JBAG with the, the, um, mango, the porch group guard, they were saying, Hey, you're in a bowl. I'm thinking that's the bowl they're talking about. And then the next day when I wake up and, uh, realize that that's nothing, that's just a little rock. We're in a real bowl with real mountains around us, not just, you know, <laughs> a rock. So, um, yeah, um, First half wasn't too bad, though. Uh, you know, you get used to it. You know, getting ticks, uh, uh, troops in contact every every day, um, just about. Um, you know, you we had uh, two platoons on Keating, one platoon at Fritchie. And, you know, they just rotate. So one week, go patrols. The other week, you're on guard duty. And it's pretty chill. 
for the most part like that. Um, like I tell a lot of people who, well, my friends who weren't in the military, or even some that are in the military, like, oh, you did all that stuff from the movie when it came out. Um, but like I t always tell them, like the first half of the movie was a combination of several other deployments all in one. So like that one commander who got blown up in the bridge, I would not have done that. Like, not, like, not that I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> I wouldn't have been running across the bridge like I was because I thought it was kind of cool because it's you know, a very rickety bridge, so bounces. So I was calling it like the kind of Super Mario, just bouncing on it like, wee. You know, uh, I didn't know that he, he passed away there. My other buddy, he knew that. That's why he would always scurry across as fast as he can because he didn't want to be caught there. And I was like, whatever. Um, yeah, I would not have done that if I knew that happened in that area. You know, there's little things like that. Um, I guess uh, one of the more significant stories for me uh, prior to the battle was, uh, you know, they gave us these malaria pills. Um, I didn't take them for a while because I just forgot. And then I was like, you know, what? I should take it because it's getting to that season for the mosquitoes. Took it. And it messed my stomach up so bad. So we were supposed to go hike up that mountain on that side of that bridge. I did not bounce that day because I was not feeling well. And we get halfway, I throw up, get another little quarter away, throw up again. And I'm a very loud puker. So you could hear me throughout the entire valley. Like even the, the bottom called up, you know, from the from the talking, like, hey, what's going on up there? We hear some weird sounds coming from the mountain. Are you guys okay? And he was like, yeah, just, you know, we got a guy puking. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was good. Good. It felt like a, the sun was a laser beam on me. That's like how bad it, it made me feel, how sick I was. And uh, so, yeah, we ended up canceling the mission and came back down the mountain. <laughs> so, well, I mean, that's the most significant for me. So, uh, but yeah, other than that, you know, it was pretty chill. Um, we just played spades. Well, they played spades. I didn't know how to play spades this time. I know it's weird for an army guy not to know how to play spades, but uh, um, yeah, I didn't know how to play they spades. They play spades in, in the cavalry? Yeah, of course. Uh, I thought that was just the infantry. No, that's combat everywhere. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they all play spades. I didn't. Um, I did Sudoku. Listen to my music. Um, you know, we'd wrestle. You know, because it's fun to wrestle. Uh, but yeah, and just normal stuff. Uh, well, oh, the I mean, so, I mean the big. I mean, the big takeaway being like that first half of the deployment. It was. I mean, it was business as usual. I mean, just yeah. were the um, were the older were the older guys the NCOs the I mean were they were they surprised by this or was did they seem like this had been the routine for years actually one of them sergeant kirk uh he was actually there before prior so um uh, so he, he he knew everything there uh it was cool too because he always built stuff so we like we totally changed the, the um makeup of the barracks uh it was much more um what's the, the homemaking word you'd want to say uh open Improving concept. your fighting position yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we just say that um but yeah he, he, he it was really fun doing that, so doing those projects with him. Um, he'd work out with San Gallegos a lot, and they just, you know, get real beefy. Um, me, you know, small guy, scrawny guy. I was a kid, so I was like, nah, I don't need to work out. I can still pass PT test. That's all I need to do. So, um, yeah, I was pretty lazy. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was pretty chill. Um, you know, there's little things here and there that happened that was kind of like, whoa, okay, that's kind of cool. Um, like some reporters came out in the Latvian special force that was training the ANA, like, Hey, we're going to mess with these guys. Just pretend when you hear a gunshot, just pretend you're getting shot at and just shoot everything. So we just threw all our rifles on a three round burst. Uh, cause we didn't have full auto then, but just lit up the sky. <laughs> so right ah! Yeah, it was, it was hilarious. Um, what, uh, what else did we do? Played some pranks in the LT, like, uh, on his birthday through a goat in his, uh, in his room, uh, killed a bunch of the spiders, planted them all over the, the barracks and stuff like that. Um, you know, just shenanigans. But uh, yeah, it went also serious stuff, business stuff. Um, like we had this thing called the Keating Famine, which really sucked. So everything was slowly breaking or already broken, like water pump. Um, we're low on food, generators about to break, combo stuff's messing up. And they're actually gonna have a Schnook come in with all the uh, repairs, all the civilian repairs. And um, as it's coming in, the generator blows up and they think it's RPG. So they took off and then they didn't come back um, and only in increments after a week. So for a whole week, we had absolutely nothing. Um, I didn't want to eat uh, Afghan food. Uh, not because I didn't want to try it, but more because I know our health standards are a lot higher. I saw them working it with their hands. I'm like, mm, you know, I'm good off that. <laughs> so I would use that. So a lot of us would go back to the trash and like go for the Chef R&D bottles that we got, uh, cans from the, um, you know, the people who send us, uh, you know, care packages and whatnot so just go through the trash and get those and that sucked um 
sucked too because the MRS we did have, we started finding them, they're all moldy, so that sucked. Um, and then, of course, comma went out. And, uh, you know, uh, for people like me, uh, me and my wife communicate constantly. Um, that's why, like, uh, my buddy Jones made a, he made a song, a little ditty, in one, in if you read the outpost, you can read about me, you know. Uh, what, what was it? Um, always trying to find a phone to call back, or no. Mumbles when he talks, stumbles when he walks, always trying to find a phone to call back home. Uh, so <laughs> that's what he made up for me, but, but I was, you know. Um, uh, one of the sergeant majors I had later on, he was always saying, oh, the reason why I speak so fast is because he's Californian. That's how Californians speak. They really, really fast. Um, my mom was a valley girl, and she mumbled all the time. So even my wife hates it. You know, we're high school sweethearts, but she hates it because I mumble sometimes too. And then, um, I don't know just awkward so i just stumble <laughs> too so <laughs> it just hey, happens it happens dude i got from point a to point b that's all i need to go that's it that's baby a little bit that's it it's all good but uh yeah it was all fun it's all good uh, i honestly thought we we're all gonna make it i thought just before uh, everything happened we did have um one casualty sergeant jacobs um one of those uh, b10 rounds came in hit one of the roofs shed a b- bunch of rocks out and just messed up his face uh, which is in the movie too, um, and uh, but other than that, there was no no real casualties. Uh, no one really got hurt. Um, we were as a rebel team, we were pretty aggressive, and our show of force, you know, combat uh, Sergeant Kurt, he was nicknamed Combat Kurt because he's like, I'm not fucking around with these guys. You know, I've already been here once. I know what they're about, and um, so yeah, they knew not to mess with us, and even and. You know, I'm recruiting now, and I tell people, too, when, when they're afraid of, of people coming into the Army and going combat arms, to tell them, like, you don't really have to be afraid because, you know, yes, that is a risk. However, you can look at the situation where I was in, and there's 53 of us uh, Americans versus, uh, while the official report was, like, 300, you know, what we got when we were there was, like, 500 insurgents attacking us, and we won. You know, there's no, no ands, ifs, or but about it. We won the battle. Strategically, yeah, we we ended up leaving the position, but we're gonna leave it anyways. But you know, all in all, we won the battle. Um, you know, I'm here today, and uh, that's why I tell you, you don't. Our training, the the amount of work we put into protecting our soldiers is just phenomenal. Um, in that sense, um, yeah, there's a lot of things that we could have done better, obviously. Um, like not put a post right there. Number one, <laughs> that's probably the best one. But uh, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, all these other things that could have, could have went into it. But um, overall, you know, with the train that we have, it's really good. Uh, heck, um, I think the Discovery Channel had, like, best warrior competition between, you know, a, an American soldier, some, not mercenaries, you can't use that word anymore, uh, contractors and uh, foreign soldiers. And he, even then, you know, Americans. Yes, yes. That, that was a, uh, with um, Mac, Mac, the SEAL, was, was hosting that. I think so, yeah. Yeah, that was that was a ridiculous show for sure. But hey, this show—they had some some privates from the 82nd Airborne, just you know, your basic basic soldier. Other than hey, I'm airborne, um, which you know they make fun of me because I'm a leg. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, just those guys versing you know some special forces guys. I I think it was Finland, and then they give them a run for their money. So that's why I would say like it's always a uh, it's always interesting to me. Uh, and, and I mean, we'll get, I mean, I, we want to hear about, you know, the, the battle, but real quick, just as a quick aside to what you said, you're hundred percent correct. I am constantly amazed by the initiative and the professionalism of like junior enlisted soldiers in the United States army versus foreigners that I've worked with. There's no initiative. The chain of command is incredibly rigid the NCO core for, um, I'd say the majority of the countries I've worked with is non-existent. Maybe outside of their, their special operation, you know, maybe within their special operations, it's still NCO driven organizations, but it's all top heavy. It's, it's, it's all coming from the officers. There's zero initiative. There's very low professionalism with the training that, that foreigners receive versus like you said, your average, I mean, Christ, even your average leg cook is still, I think, in my opinion, far better trained in, in, in the 
applications of the art and sciences of combat than many foreign uh, infantry units. It's incredible, really. Yeah. This is why we're number one. USA. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like, like I said, that, that's why I would try to tell people and, and to remember, like, that's why we were able to, to survive in a situation like we were at Keating. You know, I honestly thank God for my training and um, I thank God for the, being the platoon I was in. I started off in blue platoon, so I knew a lot of those guys and I moved to red platoon uh, on my birthday of all days. Uh, was, Happy birthday. Um, new platoon. But uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty, pretty, pretty cool and pretty interesting thing uh, to happen. Um, as far as the actual day goes, uh, I would say how that one went for me. Basically, I was kind of upset already. I was in a bad mood because I was supposed to leave on the chopper like day prior to go uh, home for R and R. Um, and they're like, no, nah, you can stay back for one more day, you know, do another patrol, and then, then you can go. I'm like, damn it. So <laughs> I was really upset. They wanted to, uh, we were supposed to switch. That was our, our last day of being on guard and going to switch to the patrol um, side of things. And, uh, yeah, so I relieved my buddy Greg. And, uh, you know, the morning time. So I have to kind of out early so I can take a piss because uh, I don't know if you know this, but I figured out to drink a whole water bottle, you know, the, the normal ones you get in the nestle. One hour, you'll have to take a piss. Like, you can't hold it. So you, you can kind of time your guard shifts based off how bad you have to piss. So <laughs> I learned these, these are great things you learn in the Army. Um, but, yeah, so I learned, learned that. So I knew he probably had to piss really, really bad. So, um, you know, I relieved him a little early. And I got up there, settled down, sit down. Like, okay, no, normal day uh, for the most part. Um, some weird things happened prior to that. You know, um, when I was in shift a couple – Nights prior, I remember them all freaking out, and then we were told, like, hey, we're going to put up a bunch of Constantina wire, because uh, we were afraid, from my understanding, we were afraid of um, the Afghan National Police attacking us. I don't know why. Uh, like I said, I was just private, but I remember overhearing that. Not only that, um, there was a thunderstorm and knocked over a uh, the radio tower, because there was, like, a radio station right next to the ECP, the entry control point, and then that fellow, and that's where I was uh, at up. Sorry if I jump around a lot. I'm just no, you're good, man. Going with it, I'm trying to not use the acronyms. Um, but yeah, that fell over, so I was like, "Cool." At least my my little shield above my head was good because that was just uh, plywood. So um, speaking of plywood too, I don't know if you ever watched that show, Doomsday Preppers. Uh, I started watching that. It's like, oh, these guys are always crazy. You know, like some of them have cool ideas, and they use plywood as well. And I was like, that's totally true because you know, on that day. I just had plywood protect me from like 7.62 rounds, and they did. I didn't get shot in the back or anything. They were from the top. It protected me. So, like, I love plywood. Um, so, when I buy a house, I'm going to buy a bunch of plywood to, to protect my windows. So, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so my little ECP basically was a hole in the roof, a uh, ladder climbs up, um, and they took the turret off of the top of a, uh, that, the ring that usually goes on the Humvee or whatever, and they put that in there. And gave me a 240 with an LRAS, which is, you know, a uh, long-range um, acquisition system, I think is what it stands for. I don't remember. But, you know, just a uh, laser range finder, basically. And, um, yep, I'm just up there with that, and I just you know, twirl around, and it's fun. Um, first thing I see, though, once I'm, like, kind of settled in, was the, uh, the chief of police come running up with a shotgun, yelling at me and Narastani, or whatever he's talking because they speak like 50 billion dialects over there um i don't know what it is i call up try and tell him like hey he's acting all weird i don't know what i should do like you know i uh, try and get some advice and uh, ask for the uh, sergeant of the guard to come over and maybe talk to him and figure out what's going on uh, but there's no response i think i heard something and then i didn't hear anything and then you know just a hell of gunfire um all around us um i try like i try first i see some uh puffs of smoke coming from what we call the putting green, which was, so if this is the front of, oh, that's the other thing too, which is kind of ominous, uh, Keating, there was a burnout, a, a Russian APC, armor uh, personnel carrier, uh, as well on the bridge, so from when the Soviets came in and, and lost, uh, so that was another ominous thing, so like, uh, where that was pointing towards is, was a, a mountain, and it's called uh, the putting green, because it had a little green patch on it directly in front of me which is the river which is where that bridge is that we're talking about that i used as a trampoline 
um, basically. That we called was north face, and then behind me was switchbacks, which went, you know, like James said, switchback back and forth all the way up to uh, the OP. And then um, further down the river along the north face and me would be where Camdash was. Um, and then uh, below the putting green was the village uh, for Mall, I believe, if I remember right. Uh, that was there. But anyway, so I could see Ermall, I could see down the river uh, to the north, um, and then obviously the north face, and I controlled everything along that road there. And um, so I see the puff of smoke up on the putting green. Uh, I try calling up, I start shooting there, and then I start getting shot at. You can hear it ricocheting off the LRS because the arrows to my right off of the north face. So I'm just kind of going back and forth between the two. Um, and uh, I was doing good. I was doing good at first, you know, control bursts, three, three to five second round bursts uh, or shots. And then, uh, you know, as, as the intensity gets more and more, obviously, you know, I got a lot of drill and running. So I'm holding it down a little bit longer and longer and longer. And um, uh, basically, uh, at some point, I end up uh, overheating the barrel. Um, but in that in that meantime, from then to, to then, uh, Sergeant Kirk comes in with uh, Greg and the Fort Observer from Blue Platoon. Um, oh, this is twice, I forgot his name. Why did I, uh, I mean, we used to hang out all the time too, and he gave me a rocking chair for my barracks room, which was awesome. Ah, it's going to come back to me. Sorry, man. <laughs> Don't be. It's been a while. <laughs> it was 11 years, dude. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, he comes in there too. Um, Knight was in there. He's our Ford Observer. Um, what do you guys have in support? Like, what, do you mean, like, what, what, are, what are the, the FOs calling? What are they there to call in? Let's uh, engage assets when they show up. Uh, but primarily they're using, for the mortar team, they call in for the mortar strikes. Oh, okay. Because um, so, okay. like... I, I'm sorry. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to get my my bearings based off of. Obviously, I wasn't there. the The other the other time I heard at, at least part of the story was from Adam Holroyd, who was QRF. So were the, the mortars yeah. were up at the other location. Well, it, so, I wish I had a map. I'm, I'm I'm a very visual person. I like to draw maps and everything. So, um, but uh, you, you guys can find it online too. But basically. Um, so from the ECP, if you come straight in, uh, to the left is where our ammo point is and all the barracks and the, um, uh, first aid station. Like if you watch the movie too, it kind of shows that to the left is all that stuff. Um, straight ahead is the motor pit for the A&A, which they never used and where our showers were and the pissers were. <laughs> so it was good for them. Um, behind that was the quote unquote, uh, uh, mechanic shed, which they, wasn't used because we didn't use our vehicles for that. We used our vehicles as towers. Um, and then, again, if you're looking into the, the cop from the ACP to the right of that was the mortar pit for us. And okay. then further down was a trash pit and all those things. All right, so you guys had organic mortars. Yes. Okay. Um, but uh, during that battle, they were pinned down, just like in the movie. It was, it was done within seconds. Um, but... Yeah, so that's primarily what our four reserves were calling them, and then when aviation come on site, then they call in aviation. Um, I found out from our four reserve later on uh, that uh, while they tried to use artillery from uh, Bostic, we're out of range, and they had to use um, the rocket propel round. So not only do they just shoot it out, but I can mid-flight, we'll shoot like a rocket out to get it a little bit further. But that would only protect um, the road south of us. So basically, they're using that to prevent um, more... Uh, insurgents from coming up from, to us from that direction, which, however, I, from my observation, from my understanding, primarily they were coming from Ermal and down the switchbacks. Not so, while there were some coming from Camdash, and you can see that, because um, they put up a video, the Taliban put up a video uh, not too long ago, you just see people running up from Camdash, which is where the, the artillery was able to reach, I believe. Um, but uh, for the most part, we were, we we're out of their range. Apparently, one of the cannons, too, is in the uh, museum on Fort Seal. So oh, okay. If anyone's there and wants to see a cool piece of history that's from that battle that is there. Um, but, yeah, so they're there. Um, I'm shooting and trying to use the radio. It doesn't really work. And then as I'm shooting, um, you know, we have we have uh, shields for, for our gunners. I can hear um, 
the rounds kind of getting closer and closer to that little slit where the gun is and where I'm behind. And um, uh, that's when my weapon jams. And uh, first, you know, I was like pissed because it jammed, obviously. And I thought like maybe I could try to open it up, throw some more ammo in it. Maybe I was out of ammo. And I realized that I could still see the link. So I ducked down because I heard Sergeant Kirk say something like, what's going on? And I was telling him, hey, it's jammed right now. And um, then he, uh, he, in the movie too, that's the only part where you see my name in the movie. I didn't think I was in the movie, but he did apparently say my name in that part. And that's in the movie too. But uh, he yells up, the, um, he yells at the, the A&A guy that was uh, under there hiding because they're frankly useless. But uh, yeah, he's like, get out of there, you fucking pussy. For years, I thought he was talking to me. And I only find out there was an A&A guy there. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, I was like, I was just doing what I was, I was just shooting. I didn't do anything wrong. Um, but yeah, that, that shit bothered me for years until I found out there was an A&A guy there. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But um, uh, yeah, and as I'm climbing down, uh, that's when a round goes through that slit and hits the, uh, the back of the, uh, the turret rings um, as I'm ducking. So I almost got hit there. Um, I get down. I talk to the other Ford observer, Adams. See, I knew he remembers names. Adams. Uh, I was talking to him. Uh, trying to say, hey, try to call him to, to get on the pen ground, saw some smoke there, and I was trying to point to where I saw some more, um, you know, fire coming from on the north face, and he's like, I, I, there's nothing. Just, they can't do anything. They're pinned down. I was like, oh, shit. And then um, I saw Sergeant Kirk hook, his, or he's getting, uh, putting his uh, 203 down to pick up the... Um... Ah! Am I forgetting everything? The rocket. Law. No, not the law, the bigger one. Uh... Eighty four, yeah. Okay. Yes. Sorry. Have somebody else here. Um, but yeah, he's grabbing the, the AT four to shoot it, and um, I turned back around um, because we had another one of the other CSOs come in, and um, that's when Greg's like, "Oh shit!" And Sergeant Kirk went down, so I got his radio, call for a medic. Uh, Sergeant Corville comes in because he needs a stretcher. Uh, so me and Greg both run back out and grab stretchers and run back. Um, I get it first, so I run back, and then we put Sergeant Kirk on there, get the trauma scissors, cut off the vest, and throw him on the, on the stretcher, and we carry him back. Um, uh, one of the mechanics, uh, you know, trying to do his part, too. Uh, unfortunately, it kind of worked against us. He got one of the um, uh, tractors and kind of used it to block it, but because he did that, we were still on the other side, so we kind of were fumbling around trying to get Sergeant Kirk to the uh, aid station. And then, um, you know, we get in there and then, uh, yeah, we get, we get in there and then I just run back to the ECP and then, um, and the, the ECP is the Shore building. Um, so we're in there and, and, you know, rounds are hitting everything. So we're getting hit with more rounds, B10 rounds, RPG rounds, you know, everything. And you can start seeing the, the rock starting to get pushed in a little bit. And then that other sergeant that was with us, uh, around goes through the roof and he just, you know, he just disappears in the smoke and we're like, oh shit. And uh, we asked if he's okay. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. So I, you know, I stick my hand behind his vest uh, to see if there's any blood on him. Cause like, it was like a round came in, like there's a hole in the roof now, um, but he was fine. Um, that's when Hart comes in uh, with a, uh, another 240 and a saw. He's like, all right, let's get this gun back up. I'm like, hey, it's jammed, it's done. The position's like done, we need to, we need to, well, he, he was saying that, like, we were, all, we were all saying that, like, hey, we need to, to back up. Like, we need to leave this spot because we all agreed, like, hey, we need to, we need to regroup. <laughs> and uh, so then we go back to our barracks. Um, Hart covers us, um, being, you know, fucking badass, shooting saw with one hand, can't 240 with the other. <laughs> like, cool. Um, like, you could get a picture from the movie. That would have been, like, a cool one right there. That's, like movie-esque right there. I just, I don't know why, but that's what I thought in my head when I was running past. I'm like, that's like a fucking movie. That's fucking awesome, you know, like in the video games shit. And, um, so yeah, we go into our barracks, um, trying to figure out what's going on and kind of just told like, hey, you know, we just, we're waiting for orders. And then, so we decided to, well, at the very least, we'll prepare to die here, you know? So, um, we all just kind of like went to the sides and hid behind our little you know, cubbies and stuff like that, and just aiming at the doors, getting ready to shoot the doors, because um, uh, one of our instances that was there, when we come back around, he, you know, he was just shocked because there was an insurgent right behind us coming around the corner, and they just kind of looked at each other and just started shooting at each other. So he's, like, throwing grenades down there. 
Um, make sure no more comes towards us. We're perfecting and running up against the back door. So I was near the back door. And I just remember um, kind of setting up some MREs boxes that were there, like like little sandbags. Obviously, they're not going to protect me from anything, but <laughs> that's what I'm doing. And I'm like, all right, now I'm ready. And like, oh, wait, where did they throw a grenade? So I'm like trying to like go underneath the bed to shoot at them from underneath the bed. And like, well, then I'm stuck because if they charge me, then how am I going to fight them hand to hand if I'm stuck underneath the bed? So I'm just like going through these little stupid things. But how am I going to find my way out, take the things with me? Um, and that's when, um, uh, you know, Sergeant Ro, Sergeant Romache, uh, he comes in. He's like, hey, we're going to take this bitch back. And, you know, he grabs a couple of guys, um, one of them being uh, Jones. And um, they go out and, you know, fuck some shit up. Um, then I'm told to move out with. Oh no no, no. sorry. Shh. Let me back it up. Forgot some. Uh, so yeah, when we're in the barracks, the first thing we do though is Hart comes back in because he finds out what's going on. He finds out those other guys like Iago's and them were stuck. So me and him try to push out to go get ammo to the other truck, which one of my best friends was in, Faulkner. Um, and. Um, I remember, again, I'm a small guy, uh, so I had a backpack full of ammo, uh, a bunch of 203 rounds around my neck, and I'm carrying, you know, 50 cal cans in my hands, and I'm short legs, and uh, so, so I'm like, try, I try to zigzag, and I'm like, fuck this zigzag bullshit, so I just kind of run straight, lean on a, um, uh, in the movie, that, that generator that got blown up where Greg and Sergeant Rowe were at, that's what I was like leaning up against for, for a break to, to run to the truck finally. And uh, that's where Greg and Jones were at. And they said that the, there's an insurgent dude that came out of the bathroom and had me dead on his sights. And they just blew him away before he could blow me away. And I ran to the truck. And then they uh, they load that truck up, heart load that truck up with a bunch of ammo. And then I was like, I just was sitting on the back of the truck for a second, catch my breath again. And then uh, they started to take off without me and the, and the ammo. So I'm like, whoa, 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 hey. I threw the ammo in there real quick before they, they drove off. And then, then we went back to the barracks. And then uh, Hart wanted to go back out and get those guys when he heard that they got stuck. And he did, he left by himself because um, they said, don't do it because of suicide. He's like, well, I'm going anyways, and you can't stop me. And he, and he left, and, um, you know, uh, I didn't see him again from there. So that was one of the things that haunted me for many, many, many years because um, I always felt bad because, you know, like I said, I went out with him the first time, and then he go out with him the second time. Um, and then that's when we started preparing, like, hey, we're all going to die. Let's build my MRE fighting position, for lack of a better word. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, it was just interesting there because in that point, too, you know, other things happen. And, and uh, you know, whenever you're getting excited, people who play sports, you know, that, that last two minutes or 30 seconds of a game, things kind of slow down, but at the same time, they're very, very fast. That's, that's the same kind of thing that's happened to us. So while things are happening, it's also kind of slow. So something like – it felt like I was – sitting there forever trying to figure out moving different things and, and doing my little positions and in that the same time it seemed very very short but in that time too like i remember a couple of na guys ran in we almost shot them all and realized they were na and they were like oh shit um and they didn't have any weapons we're like what the fuck and then we're like get the fuck out of here this is not your barracks you know go get out and then um, the latvians came in and they're like fucking throw those motherfuckers out and you can hear them uh the other one like grabbing them and literally picking them up and throwing them to go fight. He's like, you're going to fight for your fucking country. This is your country, not ours. And it's, that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, those guys were useless. Um, how, how much time, how much time passed between when you were in the ECP and you guys first started taking rounds to um, insurgents in the wire to you alamoing the barracks with fucking MRE boxes because that at first off I know you kind of glossed over that that's a that's a situation is all fucked up like you said you were you were, you guys were prepared to make your final stand behind MRE boxes in the fucking barracks alamoing with fucking MRE boxes how much time had had progressed between those three things ECP you first started taking contact to Insurgents in the wire to alamoing in the barracks. So I was probably on the ECP for, you know, five to 15 minutes before I saw the guy show up. And then it was probably like five minutes after that when then we started getting shot at. Okay. And then it was probably 
15 to 20 minutes probably after that when we left the ECP and I did a quick run with with heart out there and back that was you know it was got to the barracks heart was like hey they need ammo um or we we over the bridge they need ammo heart's like I'll go Davidson come with me and we went out and we came right back and that was probably you know a um five minute trip max maybe um, cause we, were, we were pretty quick. I know I kind of said it was kind of slow, but it was, it was pretty quick. And then we were back in there and then Alamoing and then probably, you know, I don't know, at most 15 more minutes. So probably all in all, like this is an hour into the battle uh, at most. And uh, so that's where we were at. Um, and like I said, Sergeant Rowe came in and you're like, we're going to push back out. Um, and they started pushing out, and then um, so me, Greg, and Knight, I believe, were picked up, and we're like, hey, we're going to, part of the plan, we're going to go towards the, um, kind of like the back behind the buildings, so past the talk, past the blue barracks, past um, headquarters barracks, and the defect, and kind of set up there along the switchbacks and guard against the switchbacks, uh, and kind of like, so we can, you know, bound up towards those guys in the truck. Uh, so Hart went, or not Hart, uh, Roe. Uh, and then they kind of pushed out that way, then came back through and then pushed towards uh, the ECP and pushed that way. So they retook the ECP for us. Um, and then we were holding the other side. Uh, unfortunately, there was a breakdown in communications. So, you know, I don't have, like, like I said, I'm a private. I'm, I'm not privileged to have radio. Uh, they didn't give me radio, you know, and then we were kind of stuck there. And the last order we got was, hey, hold this position. Um, that was it. So we didn't know what we were supposed to do. So unfortunately, we did not bound further up towards the um, mechanic shed like we were supposed to. Uh, so, uh, but we so we stayed there for a while, you know, fighting off uh, stuff. I'm gonna to go get ammo. So I went with somebody else to go get ammo. I was running back through, and uh, I remember uh, my buddy Jones told me later on he was something that he stuck out. But uh, I just ran by him and just kind of like waved at him and gave him a thumbs up, like, woo, we got this, you know, or whatever. And he's just, like, over there throwing grenades um, with uh, my other buddy, Danley. And uh, I just grabbed ammo and ran right back out, went back to where I was at, and pretty much stayed there. I just only moved back and forth from my barracks wall because it had a, a already dug out for the rain and stuff like that, so it was, like, a little trench already pre-made. So between the deep, being next to the defect and my barracks, kind of moving back and forth between those two for much of the rest of the, the, the fighting. Um, I did get upset a couple times, but, um, I won't say that, yeah. but, um, so yeah, so I want to give a shout out to Wong too, cause he was cool. Cause he was running through. So when we were sitting there, uh, fighting, you go get us food and, and ammo, which is nice. Uh, and then I was also dumb too, even though I went back to the barracks, I had two vests. We had plate carriers, which I had all my, my gear strapped to. And then because I was on the on the EZP, I had a, a, a slick vest. So it was just the plates. Um, that was the IOTV. And that's what I was wearing all day. So I had like to stuff everything in my pocket. So it really sucked. Um, but uh, yeah, well, we're, we're back by the barracks and, and that trench. And I had to, I was there by myself for a second with a bunch of A&A guys trying to get them to fight. And just, just, just so you guys know too, I'm not just hating on them because, you know, Obviously, I'm pro-America, but I'm not just hating on the culture for no reason. Like, these guys were very ill-trained and ill-prepared and um, just, yeah, they're just bad. Uh, so, there's three of them next to me. They're all cowering down below me. Um, granted, yes, this is a very scary situation, but obviously, the rest of us are fighting. The Latvians, the Americans, we're all fighting. Um, these guys are cowering there. I have to stop shooting to tell the guy right next to me to stand up and shoot with me. So that we can, you know, survive, and then um, I can get him to start shooting. And while I'm getting the other guy next to him, I can get him to stand up and then go back to my rifle because I can't reach the third guy. Pull like the trigger and shoot me one or two rounds, and look back over, and they're both cowering again. And just back and forth with this until I just gave up. It was like, fuck, this is stupid. Um, and then you know, I we were, like I said, we we're just moving back and forth, back and forth in these positions, and those guys just disappeared. Um, when we saw the video later on from the Taliban or the insurgents, when they, they showed it, it showed those guys running away. All the INA kind of like, yeah, good job, guys. Don't kill me. And running back to Kamdash and wherever else they would go. So 
they really, really suck. Um, the only one of the other significant things that happened between that was um, Carter. You know, he was there in the video. He comes back. You know, um, he said he used to cut trees down and and instead of instead of cutting the tree towards the fire, because the Taliban loves to set stuff on fire, instead of cutting the tree so it fall towards the fire and not make a bridge to the talk. He cuts down the wrong way, and it makes a bridge to the talk. And when he cut it down, too, not only that, it almost fell on me and uh, Knight, who were in the trench. So I was very, very, very angry about that, you know, um, very upset about that. So I, I hate Carter a little bit for that. So um, he was an ex-Marine, so you know, he, he realized the Army was better, but he just, you know, apparently wanted to keep his, his thick jar head and down the wrong way. So, I'm gonna give that to you. I said I was gonna sneak it in there, Nick. <laughs> I was waiting for it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so um, we're just doing that back and forth. Obviously, tree got in the way, so I was no longer able to go back to that spot because it just, you can't really see past the tree and basically can branch into you. So, I went back to the, the um, defect side. Um, Either before or after that, I remember we, we ran across uh, one of the privates from Blue Platoon, Rogers, uh, walking around over there. And we're like, dude, come over here and you're going to fight with us. Because <laughs> so, he was like, I don't know what he was doing, but he was just walking around. Um, and then we were pretty much there for the rest of the night, just shooting guys off of us. You know, uh, every once in a while, Wong would come up and tell us what's going on. Um, we'd get information about what's going on. Um, one of the cool things that I thought was cool was that that's one of those new um, infrared night vision goggles were coming out so we were like for the first 10 minutes like oh it's so fucking cool and then after realizing the batteries die really quick we're like oh this shit sucks so we went back to you know regular night vision with the green awesome green um it was around that time uh, when the NCOs gave us like a radio so kind of got to hear a little bit more what was going on and found out that um the uh, QRF was finally coming down the hill because we, we got word that they were there a long time ago but they didn't come down forever and then when they finally did show up, it was cool. Um, I just remember them coming through. And uh, I, I remember right from, from I, I was listening to the other podcast, he was saying like how they would just walk up to the guys after they dropped a bunch of bombs. They were super days and just point blank and shoot them. So uh, one of our buddies, uh, Cooler, he was with them. Um, he was coming back from training and he was like, yeah, they're like zombies. He's like, it reminded me of, you know, what I think, was that movie around? Uh, or that TV show that everyone, the... Walk of the Dead. The Walking Dead, yeah. Yeah, Walking I think that was out already, if I remember right. And he said it was like that. If not, it was like, you know, Day of the Dead. Either way, zombies. Uh, point blank, shooting them because uh, they were so dazed. And uh, they just walked on down. And it was pretty chill. Uh, Goings for them, he said, like, they didn't beat up with any resistance for the most part um, by the time night fell. And um, other than that, you know, I stayed on, on my, my position. Uh, went back out to collect all our, our dead. Um, heart was um, missing at the time. And it just really sucked, um, too, because, you know, uh, they did find him um, and stuff like that. And then they brought him past me. But rigor Morris kind of set in. And then what I heard later on was that um, uh, he was executed. So um, I think that's really sucks. So I know, I know him, he'd go down fighting. So I'm sure they messed him up pretty good. And like I said, that's why it just kind of always bothered me because I just felt like I should have gone out with him too. However, you know, like I said, he went to that truck and Griffin, um, you know, like I said, I was used to be in Blue Platoon. Uh, so Griffin, you know, he, he passed away as well. He was in that truck. Uh, Faulkner, he was wounded. He came back. Uh, he was my best friend. He was my roommate um, before we left. And then, um, you know, uh, so yeah, so that was that. Uh, I ended up giving that, that position because of the fire, which consumed the defect as well. And then we just back towards my barracks for that. By the time they, they removed the tree, we were able to remove the tree for the most part. And we're all sitting there. Tenth Mountain guys are down there now and trying to figure out what's what, you know, and do something. And then um, slowly we start giving up um, defense to them. And then uh, Still a little mad at the 10th Mountain guys, though. No, no offense to your old friend, though, because uh, um, A, I had to pull guard dude that night, which I really hated. Uh, or, or maybe it was the next night. I had to pull guard dude, and I was like, fuck, 
That's why we have QRF. And the second thing is that morning they got to shoot off all the AKs and SKSs and RPGs, and they didn't tell us. So first they didn't tell us. We all thought we were going to attack again. So first we were panicked about that, and then realized it wasn't. And then they shot it. We went back to sleep, and then they shot some more, and then we're like, all right, well, we want to shoot some. And they're like, no, we have to destroy them. I was pissed because, you know, to this day, I still have not fired an AK. It's like, I just want to shoot an AK or SKS or something, you know, if I like shooting. I want to shoot some of these Cold War stuff. And they have some really cool stuff, too. I was reading the magazine. They have, like, Lee Enfields and stuff like that from the one of the um, Anglo-Afghan wars, which is worth, like, at the time it was 2000 I'm sure it's worth, like, $4,000, even if it's in shitty condition. So it was really my mate hating those 10th Mountain guys because I didn't get to shoot nothing. But, um... Yeah, other than that, uh, while the official report said they picked us up the next night, obviously, uh, I kind of alluded earlier, you cannot leave for like three nights, uh, days later, maybe three days later. Um, I think it's, I think it was two days and three nights because I remember um, the people of Kamdesh were getting very upset. I know like in Islam, you have to bury your dead within three days. So um, they're getting upset about that. We also did do a patrol uh, back into your mall. So Blue Platoon went into the Ramal and Red Platoon, we, we uh, set up a, a uh, observation point uh, above them to cover them. And I just remember uh, just seeing all the destruction. And, and I got to give credit to, to uh, those buildings, even though they're out of rocks and stuff like that. We dropped a lot of bombs on them and whatnot, and those buildings were still up. You know, you, there were even families inside those homes. We dropped, like I said, we dropped a lot of fucking bombs. And they're, they're fine. They just walked out. I was like, holy shit. So, um... Yeah, uh, that was pretty interesting. Yeah, going up there, and because we were setting up uh, uh, Overwatch in where the uh, we were getting attacked from, we could see the fighting positions they were in and what they made during that day, and what they how they were shooting at us and what we looked at from them. Um, it was very interesting. Um, it, it was it was, was kind of it was very interesting. Uh, I got I got saved. Um, and then yeah, Tenth Mountain left first. Uh, when we start collecting up and, and, and leaving, 10th Mountain left first, um, Blue Platoon next, and then that night, uh, Red Platoon, we were supposed to be the last ones to leave. Sko was with us. Um, I remember it was, getting, it was getting, I guess not so much late, but early, like it was about to be uh, dawn, and then they, what I heard, from what I heard, it sounded like they said they weren't going to pick us up to the next day. And so this is Sko with us. You know, we're at half strength for a platoon. Uh, we lost a lot of our leadership and a lot of guys, and um, he was like, "Fuck no, I'm fucking colonel. You're gonna pick me up, my guys up." And then uh, so I was like, "Yay, we're gonna leave!" Because we're all like, "Fuck, we're gonna be here another night." Like, I don't know if, if we'll make it. This was a platoon, and uh, I think Cooler was next to me. I was telling him like, "Hey, I bet you someone's gonna trip." We're up to the chopper. You know who trips? This guy. I'm guessing you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I don't trip just once. I trip twice. So. Um, but yeah, uh, but you walked out. But you walked out of there. Yeah, yeah, I walked out, and that's why I always tell people like I'm very happy because I'm like one of the few people that didn't get a Purple Heart. Um, right now I'm in California, and I was like, damn, there's a lot of free stuff you get with the Purple Heart. You know, I got four kids, so I'm like sometimes I'm like, I wish I would have gotten one just so I could like have free college for the kids and stuff. Don't <laughs> worry about that and get some free stuff, like free hunting license. I'm like that'd be awesome. Um, so I obviously all deserve it. Uh, I'm not saying like I wanted to get shot or anything. Cool. But um, the other cool things I thought was kind of weird about that that moment too was a uh, uh, I'm Catholic uh, now I wasn't at the time I had a friend who was and he gave me a brown scapular uh, for the Carmelite order and he's like hey this is a protection on one side it says you know this is the heart of Jesus the other side it's the heart of Mary and, and whoever dies in this will always be protected they don't have to go to hell no matter what so I thought that was really cool and then um, hold on better yet okay. no worries <laughs> we're good um and the other thing was my wrist wristwatch broke and then i have yet to be able to have a wristwatch for more than like two weeks before it breaks on me obviously really? i'm a little superstitious now so <laughs> uh, i'm religion that day too so like once i got home i married or my you know, wife you know, together um i converted to the catholic church and i was like yep I'm good here's god so um, I was very positive I was going to die like three times that day uh, alone. So, um, yeah, that's kind of like the last thing. Um, the only other thing I want to throw in there real, real quick before all the questions come up to, this is something I've noticed with the Army and, and, and the civilian population too. It kind of dawned on me earlier this week was that uh, I just want to point out to you for a lot of guys who haven't been in combat why 
yes, it's a, it's a life-altering experience. Um, and obviously, we're in the profession of war. Um, it doesn't mean everything. So, like, uh, while I am thankful for the experience I had, um, I'm thankful to be alive. Uh, obviously, we changed me as a person. I, like I said, I found religion. I found all these other things that made me uh, a little bit better from it and more appreciative of the world from it. I also don't wish that for anyone at the same time. So I know there's a lot of guys now joining the military like, hey, we just can't wait to, to prove our stuff. Um, but you don't need to, I guess is what I'm trying to say. If it happens, it happens. And know that you're going to be ready for it. You just don't need to be ready today. I think that's a good takeaway. Yeah. And so. es especially with what you currently do. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm recruiting. I, I just run across a lot of kids trying like, yeah, I can't wait to fight, you know, First was ISIS, now ISIS is gone, and now they're talking about China or whoever our next enemy is. And they're like, yeah. You know, I had some uh, privates before I went under recruiting. They're like, fucking gotta get PT up and be PT stud so I can fight. And I'm like, no, actually, my PT is important. You need to know how to shoot a weapon. And I was in the Bradley unit, so I'm like, you need, to, you know, you need to learn how to employ you know, tank mines and those things. Like, to me, that's more important. I know the Army's trying to find its way into this new new world of warfare. I just hate how everyone thinks PT is number number one of above everything. While it, it is very important, it's definitely in the top five. It's not number one, in my opinion. So it's it's funny. And I mean I you're kind of in a unique position because I am I mean Christ, my my experiences were so drastically different. Um I didn't I never stepped foot in Afghanistan. Um and you have this insight into into warfare in, in, you know, you want, if you want to call it coin, you can call it coin. There's a million arguments into figuring out how, you know, general officers try to apply principles of coin from Iraq to Afghanistan. It just wasn't the same. Then on the SF side, you had the whole debacle of the village stability operations and it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's all noise. Um, but now the army is moving on. The, the fight is no longer unconventional. It's no longer... Yeah, going back to Irregular. It's no longer lopsided. Now the Army is moving towards the near-peer threat. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's a great thing, too, because, like, if you think about it, too, not only... What we're in a transition, too, is, is just like in World War One when you... Uh, airplanes and tanks were introduced you know now we have the cyber uh aspect of it while it was there before it is so much more now with the drones and, and communications electronic warfare being so important um like I, how i always thought of it it's like war traditionally for years until world war one was two-dimensional once world war one happened it became three-dimensional and now now that we're in the 21st century and out, out of getting out of afghanistan it's, it's now becoming four-dimensional so I think I always think that was really cool. It is. And, and you know, we, we can talk till the cows come home about the importance of cyber. But, I mean, when you see, when you take a look at the class of, like, combat tested, combat proven, now NCOs, the, the guys that, that cut their teeth in Afghanistan, or in your case, the guys that cut their teeth in the Battle of Kamdesh, which is now highly, you know, publicized and people know about it um i mean where where do you see where do you see the uh where do you see the future of like army combat leaders the ones that 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 cut their teeth in you know fighting guys that have a first grade education and as we move forward and, and prepare for the next fight it's a totally different it's a totally different aspect i mean do you do you think that your your experience will will translate uh, I, I truly hope so. That's actually something I've been talking about with myself too, because I'm leaving recruiting. Um, I'm not gonna lie, my 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 personal position is kind of weird too, because I, I, I screwed up my career a little bit because I, I uh, after kidding, a lot of the guys were getting out or reclassing. Um, I my wife was pregnant uh, with our first kid, which is my daughter, and um, so I was like, well, let me transition. Obviously, not the war experience already. Let me try to transition to something that will you know, carry forward. And I know HR had the shortest AIT um, and everyone needs it. So I switched into that and absolutely hit it. I didn't have nightmares, to be honest with you, from Keating, believe it or not. I did not have any crazy nightmares from that. I did, however, have a nightmare after my first month and a half of recruiting, or uh, not recruiting, uh, that's fun. Like I woke up cold, sweat, 
clenched teeth, you know, very angry. My wife's like, what's wrong? Was it, was it the battle? You have a dream about the battle? I'm like, no. That's the one. She's like, what? You're very taken aback. Like, you know, you'd expect it to be from that. And it wasn't. It was from freaking desk work. I hate it. You know, I'm chubby right now. I'm very, very chubby right now because I'm a stress eater and I, I just hate recruiting. I hate it. I hate it so much. I can't wait to go back line. But because I screwed myself over, it took me years to finally go back to being a scout. Um, but right now, I'm, I'm a little behind my peers because I don't have my uh, uh, my squad leader time, my KD time. So, <clears throat> but uh, I'm ready for it. As soon as I get done, I got seven more months of recruiting. And, um, but what I want to pass on, obviously, I'm, I'm not going to, because I'm behind, I probably won't make it past, you know, platoon sergeant, uh, maybe further. But what I want to do is still is, is instill in them. And, and like I was trying to say before, that's why I wanted to say that message about, about combat is uh, and the importance of knowing your skill set. You know, I think uh, while the Army's doing kind of like finding their new place in the world, and like we were, like I was saying too, we were saying there's a fourth dimensional aspect to it now. Um, that's why they came up with this new Army Combat Fitness Test and stuff like that is is keeping the the experience alive um, at the same time preparing us for the next stage, which is yeah, from what I read, um, everyone expecting it to be kind of a, a combination of of coin and symmetrical and asymmetrical and like all all of the little terms they want to use together. So like it's it would be expected like our near peer like Russia or China would use. Um, insurgent operations against us as well in the next war and so that's why you have to know your basics um you have to know how you have to be aggressive you have to know your basics you have to if you're in a, in a bradley unit you need to know how to defend yourself uh with anti-tank mines because if they're going to have tanks that with you you need to know how to implement that getting that 300 pt test score isn't going to keep you alive yeah it's going to make it so you can carry more tank mines any tank mines sure that's awesome but that's why you have a whole platoon to do it with you you know, rely on your battle buddies, learn from your battle buddies, um, go to the schools that, when you're offered the schools to learn, and, you know, all, all the stuff, I think, I don't know, I'm kind of babbling now. <laughs> so, no, I mean, that's all right. I mean, I want, I want your thoughts. I mean, you're, yeah. you, and your experiences, I mean, you, you experienced probably the worst that, that war had to offer as a PFC, as and one of the things that kind of just the overarching theme that I took away from that was, and again, this is, this is kind of new to me. So I, I like hearing this It's a new perspective to me, but like as a PFC, you don't have a radio. So all you could concern yourself in and with is exactly what's in front of you. You don't have that overall picture. You're not building that, that situational awareness. Um, and in, and in combat that can be, I think that would probably be the most terrifying aspect of that is, is just having none of that situational awareness. And, and, you know, that's why you rely on your NCO core and things like that. Yeah. I was about to say that. Like, I, I I'm just very, very grateful. Like I, I was saying too, I'm very grateful. I was in Red Platoon. I'm very grateful um, for leadership of Sergeant Rowe, uh, Sergeant Larson. He was my team leader. Sergeant Rowe was my squad leader and all the other NCOs, Sergeant Kirk, Sergeant Gallegos, uh, Raz, uh, you know, every, everybody, Avalos, all of them. Uh, Stanley, they're they're all amazing NCOs that I had there. Gallegos, um, you know, we trained really really hard there. Like, you know, when we were uh, back in Carson, you know, we we actually did a lot of PT, but that wasn't our only focus. You know, when we did our hip pocket training, you know, we would actually go on patrols and pretend like we're on an actual patrol. You know, we would go out and talk about setting up stuff, and we made a game out of it. Like one of the things, like my buddy Greg, he still does with his soldiers that we did back there. We just got the new tripod out. So we would like whoever sets us up the fastest will get to leave, you know, a little bit early for the day. And so we're having competitions with the, uh, the AGs and the gunners about just running as fast as we can. We basically boomerang that shit, <laughs> set it up, and so we had it up real quick. And while yeah, that was fine. Yes, we got a reward out of it. Bottom line was we just got a really great skill set, which was implementing a 240 system and setting it up within like I think our time was like 10 seconds, 12 seconds, something like that, which is pretty. Pretty good. Maybe maybe even quick. I don't know. I'd ask Greg. He's probably gonna do like seven seconds now, five seconds now. So um all those things like combining like, you can make the training fun, you can do the fun things. We have those abilities. Uh, I just I just don't want our, our future leaders and our soldiers to think that only doing push-ups, sit-ups, and a run or now deadlifts, ball toss, spring drag carry, and all the, the new stuff is all that matters for a soldier, for a warrior. You know, and then I, that's the other thing I hate too, is like 
change the stupid PLDC from PLDC to WLC to Warrior Leaders course and oh yeah, that's, we gotta make PC um, basic leaders course and all this stuff. It's like it's okay to be aggressive. It's, that's what our business is. As a, as a combat soldier, I should be aggressive. Aggressiveness keeps me alive, but with a cool head. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, PT I and mean, PT is just a it, at this point it should it sh- it should just be an assumption. You're you're in the business of war. You should you should maintain your physical readiness. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, your, 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 com- your, your, your combat skills, your, your, your soldier level one skills, your, your first aid, your marksmanship, your patrolling, uh, you know, your employment of weapon systems, those are incredibly important. And I mean, I guess that, that is the big takeaway, even as, even as a, as an NCO moving forward, you know, don't phone it in. Don't just, you know, if you're going to do hip pocket training, make it count. Like, okay, you're, you're relegated to the, you know, the motor pool parking lot. Well, you guess what? Set up a glass house. Yeah. Or, or, yeah you know, set up a glass house, set up, you know, bring out the tripods and, and, or, you know, maybe, you know, work on vehicle recovery or, or something like that. That's a, that, that's an incredibly important takeaway. Yeah. And that's, that's why I mess with my kids too. Um, I, I talk about, you know, uh, the two acronyms I left from basic training was uh, slowest, smooth, smooth, fast, which I mess up to this day. <laughs> you know, I think all they just go quick, quick, quick. Um, and then the other one was the the cavalry, you know, kind of thing. It's like horse, saddle, rider. So the horse comes first, which is your vehicle, because you can't go to and from battle without your vehicle. You need your equipment to keep you alive, and you have to take care of yourself, because what good are you if you can't organize a use that equipment or carry it? So um, that the only other the only other takeaway I did, which is purely personal, not more for the whole army, I hope the whole army does it, is that um, I really want a bayonet. I keep telling every unit I PCS from, like, hey, my going away gift, I want a freaking bayonet. No one's got it for me yet. <laughs> Damn, dude. Yeah, I know. It sucks. I always miss out. Uh, I got a bit of bad luck, so I always joke around. I was cursed by gypsies, but my dad had bad luck. I had bad luck. The only thing I got good on was my wife and the kids. So <laughs> life skills, super lucky. Little things, not so much. But, uh, yeah, I want a bayonet because – like I said, the Taliban, the insurgents, they were that close where we could have gone hand-in-hand with them. So combatives to me is very important. I just also like it because it does build up your body for a fight. You know, you're working all your muscle groups, just like swimming does. You know, you're working all your muscle groups. You're working on your cardio. Um, and and knowing how to use those basic things like your knife and stuff like that. The Army's always stretching uh, land navigation in case everything breaks. Well, why not talk about when we don't have weapons and when we're in close combat? using your hands and your fists and your knives and stuff like that for fighting as well, which I'm sure you'd go over. Cause I remember when I was working with seventh group, they all talk about it too. They're like, yeah, that's why I got to finally do combat as with you guys. So I was like, yes, finally. Yeah. When I, when I, when I was a fifth, every, every, every Monday was combatives. Yeah. Every Monday it. morning was, was combatives, but um, no, I mean, that's important. I mean, you know, the last, the last time we went up against a peer and you know, Korea, let's say Korea was, was considered a, a near peer, mainly because they were backed by the Chinese. But, you know, you go against that, that, that peer and you kind of return to that, that uh, symmetrical and conventional warfare. It, it always seemed to devolve into the hand-to-hand. So that, that's probably something that, that we should keep in mind moving yeah, forward keep, keep that warrior mindset going you know yeah. well brother i can't tell you how much i appreciate you coming on i i know i know you have kids to tend to so i'm not going to keep you all night but this was incredible it was humbling I, you know I, i'm sure people have said welcome home a million times i let me just be the million and first welcome home glad you're here uh what you guys did at Keating is nothing short of completely heroic, absolutely stupid in regards to your personal well-being and safety. You guys are 100% the giants that us younger guys in the Army stand upon uh, to, to see what it's like to be in the profession of arms. So thank you very much. Yeah, of course. Thank you. All right, brother. Well, be well. We'll keep in touch and uh, keep on driving on. All right. Real quick, I have to say it because it's been a long time since I did a podcast. Quick shout out to my buddy, Deadplate, who always asks me to 
say this at the end. Guys, if you like this, if you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and like it. Leave a comment. Uh, I'll do my best to respond to them moving forward. If you guys are listening on Spotify, iTunes, a, a great review or five-star review goes a long way. Um, it helps push the podcast uh, in, into the algorithm so that we can drop this on unsuspecting viewers and listeners so that they might stumble upon these awesome stories that we share. So, Nick, once again, thanks, brother, and uh, be well. You too.